This is episode 156 of PC's podcast entitled I Am Curious Orange, and the prelude was the new recording by Los Straightjackets of the theme from Ghostbusters. And this is a kind of ghost busting of something that I knew about, have learned afresh about, and I think has actually something new to teach the world to sing. And it is uh, taking the form of a short reflection on a movie that was released in 1967 from Sweden that was entitled I Am Curious Yellow. And it was made by a group of uh, a director and very talented people with a pendant movie, the same long length, entitled I Am Curious Blue. And the history of this movie um, is one thing to talk about, but I Am Curious Orange, which is my, shall we call it, uh, Protestant uh, re-envisioning of the film, I don't think it's really a re-envisioning. I think, I think it's an envisioning. And this um, movie's history is almost a lesson in uh, perception and a lesson in really the f f fatal perspectival um, approach that uh, uh, critics bring to uh, works of art that are offered in good faith and then are categorized. And it is this extraordinary um, need that we seem to have in our heads, and especially men do this, um, to categorize and put things into headings that destroys the individuality and finally the substance of an awful lot of good things in this world, not to mention individuals and people who are consistently categorized rather than known personally and understood. And as I saw this movie recently twice, together with its uh, lengthy and very fine appendant, I Am Curious Blue, I realized what a fool I had been in sort of taking other people's words for it. You know, never take a people's words for anything. Now, that just that applies to people. Never, when you hear somebody is dippy or lame or awful or malicious or um, malfeasant. Uh, don't take anyone else's word for anything because although they may to some extent be accurate, uh, very often we, we see things so completely through our own um, eyes that we often miss the substance of uh, the person or the entity that we're looking at. And that goes for absolutely everything in my experience. And certainly I've been the victim of an enormous amount in my mind of categorization and being put into a category or into a, by guilt, by association, that uh, is enormously wounding and enormously um, uh, productive of, of, of a very deep failures of confidence when you're grouped with any group. Now, uh, let me say briefly about the movie. You don't have to know about this movie. It's very easily available and um, can be seen and purchased uh, very um, um, without any problem, and it's not expensive. But this um, movie was absolutely notorious in its age for only one reason. And I really don't need to go into what the reason was, except to say that I was a, golly, I was about a 15, 16-year-old um, prep school student, and uh, we all wanted to see this movie. It was the um, object of a court case in New York City that was won against the censors, and the movie I Am Curious Yellow uh, single-handedly kind of um, broke the power of censors, as they were at that time 
established by states or municipalities, uh, cities and towns, and it really broke the back of that completely in one fell swoop, just as um, Lady Chatterley's lover had done the same, really. And this um, movie, because of one thing, uh, had tremendous notoriety in its age, and it was a movie that we desperately wanted to see. And it was finally released for a limited run in New York City, but I think I was too young to see it and a little too young to go up without um, uh, the kind of consent that no one wanted to get. (laughs) So um, we missed it. But I did um, immediately pick up, um, having just turned 17, the movie tie-in script uh, by Grove Press, which I'm looking at right now in a store in the spring of 68 in Chapel Hill, an old bookstore that used to be well-known there in that southern side of paradise as it was then known and um it had a lot of pictures that showed us exactly what we wanted to see about the um romantic activities of the two protagonists in the film now um that uh movie when you see it today it's still fairly um vivid but um two other things occur to you about it it's been absolutely journalistically um, categorized into the kind of ash heap of history because it's routinely dismissed now as a kind of window into the 1960s, albeit it's it's Sweden and Stockholm, the window into the the 60s love-ins, free love, um, anti-war, anti-nuke, anti-Vietnam, uh, anti-establishment, anti-the-church, anti-universities, anti-all kind of um, institutional uh, powers. It's a very anti-authoritarian film, and um, it's just routinely simply described as a window on the late 60s in the same way that, say, A Summer Place, which I talked about recently in Sloan Wilson's novels, uh, are consigned to a position as being sort of, quote, our parents' generation or a certain kind of 50s conformity, which it's not about at all when you actually read the book. Um, and even if that existed, it existed for a very short time and never anywhere near, because people are human, men are men and women are women and people are people, was there any real... Um, uh, quietude, the way that's described. But this movie was put into a category of being simply a reflection of an era, as if anyone ever actually creates a piece of art when they create it as being a reflection of my era. That's not what it's about. Anyone who takes the time and the enormous effort to write, produce, direct, and create and put together a four-and-a-half-hour movie about young people uh, in uh, in any part of the world, um, is not doing it as a documentary window into the way it was, but into a deep expression of the way I think it is for me. And so anything you read about this film is essentially uh, caught, A, in the original controversy around it, which I was certainly um, freely participating in, and, on the other hand, a kind of journalistic... um, categorization, and it's entirely false. And this podcast, in a way, is a kind of a a cry, a plea for you all, y'all, and uh, you and me, to look at things as they are and not as we are told that they are, or not as someone else's opinion has made it. Haven't you, hasn't this happened to you? Haven't you read a book or seen a movie or listened to a symphony that you heard as a youngster, and then you put it in a kind of a category or a kind of a 
pigeonhole and then you listen to it at a certain point in your life and you said oh my gosh how could I have missed that it wasn't it wasn't just that I changed although I did change but I didn't have I didn't have the eyes to see I had I did not have the eyes to see and had I only had the eyes to see now this uh movie uh I'm curious yellow and I'm curious blue actually are about something altogether different from what is uh purported to be their meaning what it's really about is the power of what we today call family dysfunction in a fairly extreme form to create lifestyles and hungers and in some cases abstractions that are not about the thing that they're really about. Now, Lena, Lena, the young woman in Stockholm in 1967, has an extremely, what we would call today, um, promiscuous uh, lifestyle with men. And that's expressed in the film, the number of lovers she's had. She's very young. She's about 19, 20 at the most. And uh, uh, this this is a constant theme in the film. And the one she has now is her 23rd. And the probable one she has, who is the director of the movie, because it is a film within a film. It's a little bit of sort of the medium cool thing of filming life and yet creating life by virtue of filming life. But it's subtle. It's not at all uh, obvious. And it's really quite funny the way that you go back and forth between the film crew itself and what they're filming. Because it's mostly a sincere, albeit somewhat cinema verite, uh, look at her life. So on the one hand, she has this history with men, and she gets involved with a man who also, who, who, who who's just selfish. He's just awful. <clears throat> he treats her horribly. And they're both out uh, canvassing for support for anti-nuke and especially anti-Vietnam marches that are occurring in 1966 and 67 in Stockholm. You know, the old U.S. out of Southeast Asia, butchers out of Harvard now, you know. Uh, all the movements of the age which crested in our world in about 1970, the spring. The... Um, underlying story is that this woman's completely engrossed um, left-wing pamphleteering and uh, espousal of left-wing causes on every front you can name is entirely the function of a relationship with a father that is tortured in the extreme. A man who's about 43 who's an alcoholic who lives part-time with a frowsy woman who's also an alcoholic and lives in his kitchen. And she, his daughter, lives in kind of a bedroom which she's turned over into a massive hoarding station for left-wing propaganda, left-wing books, pictures taken out of magazines of all her heroes, Mao and Che and um, Ho Chi Minh and you name it, Karl Marx, and uh, also a scene of her sexual activities, which are very engrossing for her. And so uh, she has uh, only six inches away, you might say, is sleeping this um, uh, alcoholic who's only done, according to his daughter, one good thing in his life, which is in the 1930s he uh, left Nor- uh, Sweden to go to uh, Spain to fight for uh, with uh, against Franco, to fight against Franco. And um, he came back early, it turns out, after about three weeks, and that is something we never hear why. But the daughter worships her father for one thing that she believes, and he did, in fact, do in his youth. He went to fight against Franco, and she has an obsession about um, the dictator Franco. And um, 
this obsession is really an obsession to find something about her father where she can identify because he's completely without love, constantly throws in her teeth the memory of her mother, whom she doesn't know, who has left the family. She lives with this awful man who's not sexually abusive or violent but just drunk all the time and mean when he's not drunk or mean when he's coming out of his... Um, his drunks, and uh, it's just a terrible situation. So here she is on the outside, this f fanatical left-wing person who is really uh, entirely focused on trying to find something psychodynamically that's clearly apparent. I mean, you see it in the hoarding, in the issue, particularly the Franco thing, because Franco, Franco is actually at the climax of this movie. And um, her love, her need for men, which is not only based on that, but is also based on a a need, as she says it very clearly in the movie, makes clear that, uh, a need that she has to believe she's pretty. She's uh, not really beautiful in a human sense. She's not plain, but she's not beautiful, and she believes she's overweight, and she therefore constantly states that she wanted to um, uh, be with boys because then she could feel good about the way she looks, which she doesn't feel good about. And uh, every time she has some terrible psychic fall, which occurs a couple times in the movie, she gorges herself on pastries. I mean, right there is the uh, uh, whole question of uh, of self-image and uh, body image and all the things we talk about today with other words. So you have that, and you have, um, hello, Brian, and you have this uh, extraordinary hoarding come Franco obsession, which issues in her being on the streets with left-wing causes, left, right, and center. That is to say, everyone she can possibly find. And then she's also hooked up with a guy throughout the movie who's a total jerk, and he's hiding something very important, like crucial, that he never tells her, and she finds out by accident. And it is a uh, just, I mean, he is as selfish and as... Uh, uh, completely using her as she is, in a sense, psychically using him, but a little bit less uh, kind of upfront about it or unaware of it. And the movie is really about the psychic forces of parental and paternal dysfunction in her life and a kind of deep, selfish uh, fecklessness on the part of the lover, Björge, and deceit that uh, creates a thermonuclear reaction in uh, violent, not terminal, it's watchable, but violent physical scenes of, uh, of hitting and striking and massively chewing out with the most powerful obscenities those who you think are nearest and dearest. And the, um, and the Carl Raymer of the situation is worked out in the bodies of both the lead young man and the lead young woman, as well as the DTs of the father. And this is carried through in um, a bruising scene in the hospital at the end of I Am uh, Curious Blue, which is the follow-up movie, which is really very good. In some ways better because it's, and it has, a, there's a very strong element of pharisaical atheism that she brings to the equation. She hates the church and she especially hates the evangelicals and uh, there's something there that's, very, she's full of anger. She's full of unbelievable anger. As a matter of fact, she desires to confront the Lutheran Archbishop of Uppsala, the Archbishop of Sweden, like the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Archbishop of the Lutheran Church of Sweden is in Uppsala, not in Stockholm. And she uh, has a keen desire to, um, she says she's so angry and she wants to go and, and dress down, which she almost succeeds in doing, having done so with the king. Uh, what is it? Uh, 
Carlos Adolphus, Augustus Charles, I can't remember what it is, and the archbishop. She's so full of anger at the paternal figures of the institutional life of her country. But it's all a substitute. So the movie is really a psychodynamic, very explicit. There's no question about this. You see the movie and it's clear. It takes a little while, but um, it's really a private drama about a young woman and her um, terribly um, inadequate uh, father and no mother who hits the wrong young man who is carrying a guilty secret that is destructive of absolutely everything that he claims to be talking about and how she tries to find hope in New Age spirituality and in uh, uh, men of many different descriptions and in uh, there's a lesbian um, interlude which is fascinating in I'm Curious Blue and there's a liberal professor who really is uh, seduces her very easily, and he turns out to be a major villain. He's the extreme left-wing professor in her college class who's about 40, and she's about 20, and this man does terrible things to her and, uh, um, you know, ought to ought to be fired. Uh, and, and he's horrible to his girlfriend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it really um, completely undoes the uh, belief that you work out your life in terms of um, in terms of ideology. It's a, a theme that I've returned to and made a point of in my new book, PZ's Panopticon, an off-the-wall guide to world religion, which is in the editorial phase now and uh, we hope will be uh, ready soon enough, but I, I, there's no date yet. Um, but that book uh, talks about the power of ideology to uh, destroy. And in a way... Um, there's a PZ's panopticon to it because she's desperate and she's looking everywhere to find her answers and she never really finds them. There's a slight element of hope, in my opinion, at the very end of I Am Curious Blue, uh, just a smidgen and bisschen, and tout petit peu soupçon, tout petit petit soupçon, did I say that right, of hope. But it's very, very, very uh, minuscule. And um, because, you know, if you don't uh, find the answer to the real problems at home, which are relational fundamentally and usually anchored in your past, you'll never find them in the life of the mind. It is a uh, won't ever happen. So as I saw this, I realized that just about everything I'd ever read about this movie was mistaken even objectively, because it's clear what it's about when you see it. It's about a woman who's freighting uh, ideology with her desperate hopes for a solution to her really um, utter alienated um, life and being. And um, a director of the movie who's really a very vile kind of a controller and who represents kind of a bad god the way the Ed Harris character did in that movie, I think, called The Truman Show. It's very negative about the director, but it's not God. It's him. He's a real person. And um, everything I'd ever read about this movie was basically founded on stereotypes and categorization. And it's a real problem. Uh, what about you? I mean, aren't you, you know, as I said at the beginning, um, we're looking for the answers that are usually about six inches away from us. Jesus said it so plainly. Why do you see the... Um, the speck in the other person's eye when you don't see the log that is in your own eye. And this um, this movie, I Am Curious Yellow, and its pendant, I Am Curious Blue, is, a, uh, is an extraordinarily uh, um, uh, corrosive, scalding hot 
um, depiction of that great truth. Now, I said that I had tried to bust an old ghost of something that simply wasn't true in the way I saw it. And now we end this podcast with a new envisioning of a very old classic song. And the new envisioning is, as far as I can tell, just about as good and fresh as they come. And I hope it'll allow you to um, never again put into any kind of category, even something that seems so time-bound as Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Kicker 5. God bless you. Goodbye. Noche oscura de terrible estar En el castillo embrujado empezó a gritar Los monstruos peligrosos Frankenstein y Batman Comieron quesadillas de vampiro en Petian Si son Que monstruos Tan terrible Bailaba la llorona en los pasos de Aquaman Y tranquilo volaba al compás de cha-cha-cha Morticia se penaba con carjeta y guagarras Mientras que el hombre lobo ayudaba sin cesar Si son Que monstruos Terrible Se ha divertido. La fiesta había comenzado. Los invitados incluyen el hombre lobo, Drácula y sus hijos. Si son que monstruos terribles. Después el gato loco la luna contempló, labrando el pobrecito, maullando se quedó, con rebanadas de ave, moreo de indigestión, el pobre gatito murió, murió, murió. Si son, qué monstruos, terrible. Llorona en los brazos de Agumán Y tranquilo volaba el compás de cha-cha-cha Morticia se penaba con carjeta y guagarras Mientras que el hombre lobo ayudaba sin cesar Mi estimado varón de terror ¿Ha comido sucesos hoy? <risa> tranquila, ¿le gustaría un poco de sangrita? Yo nunca beber sangrita Hombre lobo, mi amigo, ¿cómo te gusta la fiesta? Vuelve, hombre lobo, vuelve. Atrás, atrás. No, no. Ayúdame, Igor, ayúdame. No, no. Igor, Igor. Ha, 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 ha.